What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demwing here with y'all, as always. Back for another episode. Um, you know, a lot has has gone down over the past few days, um, especially amongst professional lacrosse, pro field lacrosse, and that is where we are going to start this show here, um, some big news and notes pieces going on here in the pro field game um, as the pro field off season gets even even wilder. Um, we knew it was going to be wild, and uh, it is certainly living up to that standard. So we'll start off here in the PLL where the Expansion of the entry draft uh, order was set last night. They had the PLL entry draft lottery. And, you know, they basically did what the NBA draft lottery does. Where you had a bunch of ping pong balls in a um, kind of like a bingo hall type thing. Rolled it around. Um, Paul Burmeister pulled one out. Um, you know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh pick. Uh, the first pick was Water Dogs. They got the first pick in the entry draft. Chrome got the second pick. And Atlas got the third pick. So those are the top three in your 2020 PLL entry draft. And like, it was pretty chalky. Um, I think all choices maybe, uh, like in terms of the odds... They showed the odds on there, Water Dogs and Chrome. Obviously, had the two best odds. And then Atlas um, and Archers, I think, had, I believe Archers was the third best odds, and Atlas the fourth. Um, so, the whole first four picks are pretty much what, um, almost identical to what the odds predicted. Um, Whip Snakes coming in with the fifth pick, uh, which was the surprise there because they only had one ball. In the uh, there was a hundred balls in there. Whip snakes had one. Water dogs had forty, I believe. Um, so whip snakes literally had a one percent chance of getting that first overall pick, um, and they get the uh, fifth there. Redwoods gets the sixth, and Chaos gets the seventh. Um, and I, I you know we haven't seen an official list. Of guys that will be picked in this draft. It will be on March 16th. Which is next week I believe. March 16th in two weeks. Um, March 16th. That's a Monday. Um, Don't exactly know the exact time yet. But March 16th will be the PLL entry draft. Will be players that are coming over from the MLL. Um to the PLL, so that is going to be exciting, and um, I think, you know, when you look at kind of the the names that are known that are coming out of the MLL to go PLL this year, that Water Dogs first overall entry draft pick uh, looks pretty promising. Uh, they should be able to get a pretty promising player there um, with that first overall pick. Um, really, I think every team is going to be able to pick up some 
insane players in that draft. Um, I think you know you'll see some teams maybe address some needs uh, in the entry draft that maybe um, they don't want to take a chance on addressing with a rookie in the collegiate draft. The collegiate draft in the PLL is in April. We also saw had the results of the MLL supplemental draft come out yesterday. Um, and I'm not going to go over this entire supplemental draft, but I do want to kind of point out some guys, um, some key guys I think could make an impact on each team. Um, and I actually wrote an article yesterday about uh, maybe about four or five guys picked on the sub draft that I think can have an impact. Um, number one is, you know, and I'll start here, uh, Freddie Frybot, LSM, got picked from the Boston Cannons. He played LSM at Ohio State and then was with the Atlanta Blaze. Only played five games. I believe he's a colonel or sergeant or whatever in the um, armed forces right now. So he does have that commitment going on as well. So I, I guess that'll play into how much he actually gets to play in Boston. But, um, you know, Violin Rees is apparently leaving the MLL going to the PLL, and that opens up a LSM spot there in Boston. And Freddie Frybot, um, if you look what he's done, what he did in college, and what he did in those few games that he played with Atlanta last season, um, there's some serious potential there. Um, and Atlanta, uh, no, Boston and Atlanta last year had similar offenses. Obviously, Atlanta moving, or the, the roster getting moved to the Philadelphia Barrage and Philadelphia trading. Randy Stotts, <clears throat> excuse me, Randy Stotts and Brian Cole um, to Boston, and that offense looks even more fiery than it did last year. They had Bryce Wasserman as well. Um, so with Flybot, no, this is a Cannons offense. It looks like they want to run. They want to go fast, um, and having a, a quality LSM that can make plays on both ends of the field and be an effective uh, piece in both the offense and the defense is going to be crucial for this team. You saw Violin Lees do it last year. Obviously, he's moving on to the PLL, so Freddie Flybot stepping in could potentially fill that void. With the... Um, Chesapeake Bayhawks, you know, they got some Canadian guys um, here, you know, including um, Callum Crawford, who um, I believe is also in the PLL player pool. So that's that's interesting. Um, they got Alex Hager, the goalie out of Robert Morris. I can't remember where, if he played in the or got drafted at all last year. Um, but Bayhawks went a little Canadian in some aspects. Um, but I think that in, and um, I, I like the Nate Solomon pick at the attack spot uh, to fill some, uh, to maybe fill, fill up some space there. Um, the Syracuse grad, I think he's going to be someone, he played in Boston last year. I don't, 
don't know how many games he actually did play, but he did suit up for Boston at least once or twice last year. Uh, should be interested to see. Interesting to see where he kind of uh, land, uh, how he performs in the Bayhawks' offense. Um, but the one guy for Chesapeake that I think is probably going to make the most impact is uh, Matthew Pedicini, face-off man. Um, you know, he did not play at all in the MLL last year, but he did get drafted. Um, do not recall which team he got drafted to, uh, but was one of the best face-off men in the country at Hobart um, in, in 2019. Uh, he broke the NEC face-off. Or he, he broke the NCAA Division One single face-off game, a uh, single-game face-off win record with 32. He also led the NEC in face-off wins with 269. Um, the Bayhawks, they have Kenny Massa there, uh, the Bryant grad, and while he did good last season and was, I believe, a top-five guy in the league, uh, 55 percent face-off uh, win percentage. You know, when it was up, when he went up against um, Adler or against Woodall, um, he kind of struggled. So, um, for me, I think Pedicini, looking at the Bayhawks taking Pedicini, it kind of gives them a 1A, 1B type situation. Who's 1A, who's 1B? Um, it, it, it is yet to be seen, but I think definitely having these two guys in the face-off room um, is only going to help this Bayhawks team. Now, looking at Connecticut, um, Drew Shantz, uh, short-stick defensive midfielder, is the obvious pick there. Um, I do like, you know, this SDM position is is one that is very coveted, in professional lacrosse, so uh, we'll see how he uh, how he does. Um, he was stellar at Notre Dame, so I think I think definitely, you know, him. And given the fact that they have a younger team already, putting him in there um, to kind of lead um, as. You know, maybe a guy that's had more success um, at the college game than other guys. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but Drew Shantz, definitely short-stick defensive midfielder for Hammerheads, for the Connecticut Hammerheads. I uh, believe he's kind of the one guy that they got that can make a difference, uh, make an impact kind of right away. I also like Gunnar Schmoller, uh, Schmoller, uh, Please how you pronounce that, Schmoller, um, out of UMBC. Uh, was a very good defenseman for the for um, the Retrievers last season. We'll see how he does in the pro game, but definitely uh, Drew Chance, um, Allentown, Pennsylvania native, short-stick defensive midfielder from Notre Dame. And he's also a guy, you know, I mentioned the short-stick defensive midfield spot is one that is coveted in pro lacrosse. Uh, he's also a guy that can get up and down the field and um, can run um, run on the offensive end as well. So we'll see how he does in Connecticut. 
Um, you know, the last guy, you know, Philadelphia Barrage, I think Lucas Spence, the attackman out of Lehigh, is the one guy to look at for them. Um, just given the fact that they did give up some of, I mentioned that trade they made. So getting a guy like Spence, who um, was a very good attackman in college, and really um, showed what he can do, you know, it, it, it's there's a lot to be said for getting a guy like that um, in this draft. So we'll see what Lucas Spence can do there. In Philadelphia, I think he fits in that offense uh, pretty well with some of the guys that they keep from that Atlanta roster. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Also, uh, Chad Tolliver, got to give give him a shout-out on the pod. Uh, getting picked up by Philadelphia, was in Atlanta, uh, coming off a hip surgery. Uh, short-stick defensive midfielder out of Rutgers. Um, you know, he should be an impact player. Um, or has a chance to make an impact, especially with TJ Camizio, um leaving the MLL and going to the PLL. So Philadelphia is short in that category. Uh, they get him there. They also get Anthony Jokum out of St. Joseph's, um, plays in the NLL as well. So we'll get, they got two SSDMs, uh, short-stick defensive midfielders in this draft. The two guys that I really, or the two teams that it's kind of difficult to see um, maybe what they've got. Um, So the New York Lizards, I don't really see it. No no one jumps off the page here, Um, but Sean O'Brien definitely, I think, because, so, he, he played a Bucknell. B.J. O'Hara is the head coach of the New York um, Wizards now. His son, Connor O'Hara, has been traded to the Wizards from the Cannons. O- O'Brien and O'Hara were that that offense at Bucknell with those two that midfield um, attack duo was very very good. So getting them two back on the same team, I think can only mean um, it can only mean that the, the there is success down the road. We saw this Lizards team struggle last year. Um, Rob Pinnell is apparently leaving the MLL, so they're going to need to fill some needs on the offensive end. Getting those two guys who had so much success already have so much chemistry together um, from playing together in college is crucial for this Lizards squad. The Denver Outlaws... um, you know, I really don't see nobody here that, that is going to make that much of a difference day one. And I it m- might just be because this this outlaw squad is so well put together. They do have some losses um, going to the PLL. 
Um, I've heard Zach Curry's leaving. I've heard he's not leaving. So I will leave that up to um, an official word from uh, either Courier or the PLL. Um, and then we do know, I believe they have, uh, name escapes me at the moment, but I believe there is a um, defenseman leaving as well for the PLL. Um, they're from Denver. Name escapes me at the moment. Uh, so they'll need to... to reinforce some of that. Uh, I do like kind of, they did get Lee Junkin who was a fantastic goalie at Penn. Uh, they picked Kai Iwamoto back up um, out of, so he, he's from Japan, was the first ever pro lacrosse player from Japan. They picked him back up. Um, Jack Bergmaster, midfielder out of Albany, I like him. Um, Will Snyder, uh, if you remember, midfielder out of Maryland. I like him. So, uh, Garrett Michael, I, I think probably uh, the defenseman out of Rutgers. Um, he, he was a quality defenseman in college. Um, I don't exactly have up how much pro experience he has, if he has any, but he's a guy I'm interested to see how he fits in that Denver offense. And, like, like always, the Outlaws, no matter who is at the helm, they their organization seems to find these guys, not only in the supplemental draft, but just these under-the-radar guys that they can put into their system and be successful. Uh, maybe not right away, but by the end of the year, they are there in contention for the MLL championship. Now, uh, you know, to kind of to wrap things up here, I you know y- y'all know I do open up the, the Twitter DMs, Instagram DMs are open um, for email as well, lacrossebucket uh, at gmail dot com. Um, always open as well for questions that I will answer on this on this podcast. And I you know kind of staying on the same theme here. I I, I got this question about a week ago. Um, and I'm going to answer it now, um, just, just because I, I I think it goes along with this theme of players who can come in to a new team or whatever and make an impact. Um, so, first I want to say, it's like there's a couple guys that I think you could put in a pro lacrosse. And the question asked, like, is there a certain guy that plays PLL, a certain guy that plays MLL? Um, and I... I, I don't like that question because I don't think there's a certain player. I don't think you can say, this guy fits MLL, not PLL. This guy, and vice versa. I don't think you can say that. Because professional across across the board, yes, PLL is a shorter field. There's the 10, 10 yards taken out of the middle. Um, the two-point the two point arc is a, is a yard in, and all of that. Um those different rules, I think that plays into the system a little bit. I think a guy, you, know, you look at Jared Newman, he really thrived in that system. Um, there's a lot of players that thrived in that system that maybe didn't get the recognition they deserved in the MLL. Um, so I do think there is a bit of that, but I don't think necessarily you can watch a guy in college and say, he fits the PLL rule set 
better than the MLL rule set. I think if they were to put a, a, a two-point arc in college and make it a 60-second shot clock, I think it, that starts on the whistle, like starts when, starts on possession. I think you could get a better picture, but I think right now the rules set is so different. You can't really, you can't, you know, it, it's not black and white as I think some people want it to be. It's not, it's not so black and white. It's kind of like, okay, like, for example, you know, I, I mentioned um, TJ Camizio is leaving the MLL and going to PLL. I like his game better in the, and he was a great MLL player. He played fantastic in that scheme with Atlanta last year. But I think his skill set, his style of play, after seeing him play MLL, and then now knowing that he's going over to PLL, I can see him maybe thriving even more because of how we've seen SS Schuster defensive midfielders used on certain teams in the PLL versus the MLL. They're both used um, fairly a lot, but I think the the, sh- the, 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 the the 10 yards out of the middle of the field gives those guys maybe a more advantage to make more offensive plays, and that's why I see that with a guy at Camizio, who I know can make a difference on both ends. Um, I think it's just a... You have to see them play in one set or the other to kind of say, okay, they would fit better here. So I'm not going to specifically say this guy needs to go to this league, this guy needs to go to that league, because it's not like that. Um, But I will go over some guys that I think immediately can have an impact in the pro game. So obviously I think the top two guys, and I think everyone kind of agrees here is um, Glenament, Michael Sowers are probably the top two college guys right now. Okay? Um, I think Sow- after um, the first month of the season, <laughs> I think Sowers is, has established himself more just with that kind of shake um, and the kind He's got a little something different to him that you don't that you don't see too often. He he's got a little something different as a ball carrier, and, and like both guys are, are are in my mind pass first guys. But I, I just think Sowers. I think his burst of speed. Um, I kind of like like when I watch him play. I kind of. Um, I kind of equate him to, like, a speed back in football. Like, he has that, like, he's a, like, it's kind of like a one-step go type guy. He's a, you know, LaShawn McCoy, one-cut go uh, kind of speed back. He's not going to, you know, he he's just got that got that speed factor that not a lot of guys have. You know, Glenna Mint, I think, he's definitely a fast player. But I think he's more, I don't want to say technical, but he's more of a, um, you know, 
north-south kind of um, one-handed dodge. More of a Rob Pinellish, Seal Sandwich-ish type guy than a um, Mikey Powell type. Like, if you're on that spectrum, I think um, Sowers definitely leans towards the Mikey Powell side. And I'm not comparing... I'm not saying he is Mikey Powell like some idiots are on the internet, but I'm not going to say that. I'm never going to say that. Just like I will never... I, I don't compare anyone to um, John Grant Jr., Gary Gate, Casey Powell, Mikey... Like, those certain guys, you just do not do that. Um, but I think he's more on that end of the spectrum. I think Ament is on the other end of the spectrum, more with the Rob Pinellish type guys. Um... But I think they both you could they could both go number one overall in both leagues, um, and be successful. Now some of the other guys um, that people might not pay as much attention to, uh, Jake. At, at the, this is at the attack spot. Jake Callaway and then Ryan Tierney, I think are two guys that definitely you have to look at um, as scorers that can make a difference that could. Could step on a pro field day one and be successful. Um, from a shooting perspective, I think Ethan Walker is the best shooter. Oh, uh, I don't want to go that far. Ethan Walker and Mac O'Keefe are if you if you're looking for um, catch and shoot guys, I think those two guys are the ones to do it. Um, now Ethan Walker, I think kind of as a East West. Um, Dodger and an outside shooter um, coming from, he's a Canadian coming from the box game. He has a different kind of, he's got a different kind of swagger about him, if you will. Just coming from the box game and playing a bit different than some of those other box guys you see, like a Jeff Teat, um, who, Jeff Teat, I think his passing ability. Has like you watch him his freshman year now to his senior year, and then even in box as well, his kind of passing ability and his awareness, um, his is just so much better. Um, I I think if you're gonna tell ask me, you know, which guy is probably more poised to come into any situation and make a difference, I think Michael Sowers. So we talk about about the attack position here. I think if you're going to ask me which guy is more poised, uh, which guy needs a, not so much a system, but needs a support system to be as good as he can be, I think that, I, I think definitely, um, and, like, Jeff Teat can be really, really good on his own, but I think he might need more of a system uh, of guys around him than than a guy like Sowers or Ament. And I think even Ament is either farther off of that spectrum of any position or. Any spot on, like any situation works for him. Michael Sowers is such an electric playmaker. 
that he doesn't need that. He can play with anybody. Glenn Ament is a bit like that. I think Jeff Teat, out of kind of all the top guys that people that we talk about on a day to day basis, I think Jeff Teat's the one guy that you look at and say, okay, he needs a support system. He needs a cast of characters around him. Now, when looking at kind of defense, and I do want to mention this, Jode Bonehall, Doc Saken, JT Giles Harris, all um, looking to play a fifth year of college football, so we will not see them play lacrosse this summer. But I think now, going to a midfield perspective, um... The only guy that I that really comes to mind for me as a midfielder is 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 Brian Costabile. I don't know the name. He's really the only guy for me that well, Doc's aching, but you know I mentioned he's going to play college football, but outside of him. Um, Brian Costabile. The only guy for me that I say, you know, really can step on a field and make a difference day one. Um, and I, I've had some people tell me, like, hey, you know, watch out for for Redwoods, uh, that Notre Dame connection. Um, hey, that would be, that'd be cool to see. That would definitely be cool to see um, him go there. Uh, just because of the whole Notre Dame connection and all of that in the PLL. Um, and they have Miles Jones now, Sergio Pokovic, get Brian Costabile. Uh, he's, a bit of, he's, a, he's a different kind of playmaker than those two guys, but um, I, I think that would be interesting interesting to see. Um, and I like how that offense is working right now at Notre Dame. Um, and he's really working well in it. You know, but outside of him, I don't see. I just don't see that many midfielders this year that I think can step in and make a difference day one in the pro game in either league. Um, you know, certainly at the LSM position, I think there's multiple guys that can do that. Um, One being um, Jared Connors, and then I think Brendan Salvatore out of Cornell can definitely be that kind of guy. I think um, I think Connors. Um, well, and I'll I'll say this: Reese Eddy, um, he's a senior. Uh, Chase Levesque, I believe he's a senior as well at Boston U. I talked about I wrote about that um, LSM tandem. I think both those guys can be uh, success- successful in the pro game. Maybe not step right on the field, you know, ready to play, ready to make a difference type of guys, but I can definitely see them um, being the kind of players that can make a difference in the pro game at the LSM spot. So we'll see, you know, where if those guys get picked. Uh, I would imagine they go MLL just because of the 
um, they have more draft picks. I don't think that they. Um, I don't think they. You know, some of these lower tier guys, and um, I, I, I definitely don't think they're the kind of guys that are going to get picked top of the line, top of the line PLL guys because of the uh, amount of picks, or the amount of picks that there are not, I should say. So there's not that many picks. There are less picks in the PLL than the MLL. So we will see uh, where some of these lower tier guys go. Um, offensively, you know, and Andrew Patet and you know, guys like that. Um, where they land. Now, I will say, you know, looking defensively, I think JT Giles, like last year, you knew, you knew Cade Van Rappers can come in and make a difference right away, right? I think this year, it's it's a bit, I think Kobe Smith, he's a junior though, is probably the only other guy outside of JT Giles Harris who's going to play college football that I would say can step on a field right now and make a difference. Uh, Nick Mellon, I, the only reason I don't mention Nick Mellon in that, in that conversation is because of his injury history. We don't, you know, there's reports that he's close to coming back, um, according to Syracuse head coach John Desco, but he's not going to come back um, this week, I do not believe. Um, but I, I just don't see him... I I don't see a team wanting to take that kind of risk on him unless they know he's 100% healthy. So that's the only reason. Um, If he was 100% healthy right now, yes, I'd put him in that conversation. But because of that injury right now, I don't know. And we don't know how healthy he's going to be this summer. uh, So I would be cautious of putting him in that conversation at this point in time. Preseason, definitely. You know, if he's 100% healthy to end the year, absolutely. But right now, probably not. Uh, face-off position, I'll end here. TD Irwin, it's not even a question. <laughs> um, he's going to be a, a top draft pick wherever, a top-of-the-line draft pick in either league. Um, he is a absolute difference maker on the field. Uh, we will see where he lands, um, in what league, what pick, um, and that will all, um, that situation will hash itself out, uh, again, it's going to be, an, uh, and, and he, I, I'll mention some, uh, short stick defensive midfielders here, um, the, you know, Jared Warner, I think is a guy, um, because I mentioned the LSM, so I'll mention the one short stick defensive midfielder, and that and that's Jared Warner. Um, he's injured right now again. Uh, we'll see how how that injury um, c- continues this season at Villanova. If he does come back, um, he has missed I believe two three games now. Um, so uh, that's another guy that I'd, I would probably be more cautious about picking. Same with Mellon, just because of the injury history, but. Can certainly make a difference, and we know what his brother can do. 
uh, what his brother has done with Whip Snakes. He's a uh, a similar type of player. I don't know if I don't think he has the offensive prowess of his brother, but um, as Ty does. But I think Jared's definitely a uh, put the ball on the ground kind of guy. Any pro team needs a guy like that. Um, Jared Connor, so I mentioned at the awesome spot, is, is a guy like that as well who also has that offensive prowess to him. So that is it for today's episode. Um, be back tomorrow with a weekend preview of the weekend that is to come in both the NCAA and in the NLL. As always, thanks for tuning in. Catch us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my personal Tanner underscore Demling, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season.